When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. What's up, y'all? This your boy David with Blackwell Renaissance. And I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. You know the rules of the game. Yeah. You know the rules of the game. I don't care what color. Can you make me a hundred million? Let's talk money. Can you make me that? If you can't make me that, I don't want to talk to you. Hey, I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is run money marathon. Do five years of this and be a millionaire and go on do what I want to do. Have kids, go live my trip and joy in the games like out here in Texas or struggle for next year. The choice is yours. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Black Wolf Renaissance Podcast. Your boy, David Bella, one-fourth of the Black Wolf Renaissance. Check out my co-host, Jalen. How you feeling, bro? What up, what up, what up? It's your boy, Jalen, man. Another quarter of the Black Wolf Renaissance. Kicking it. Feeling great, man. We on what? Two days, three podcasts in the weekend. Mm, going Type on. run. Yeah, we're going off. We putting in the work, man. Oh, uh, yeah, my brother. You just got in from Louisiana visiting Yeah, family, just got off know, the road. Enjoying the holidays and... I hit a give game, you know, give back. That's what BWR is about. That's what we about to do. And man, we got another special episode for y'all. Hell yeah. Man, we tried this one last week. We ran into some difficulties, yeah. but hey, it's back and it's going to be better than ever. Y'all, but look, before I introduce our brother for the episode, I got to ask y'all as always, make sure that you like and subscribe and um, leaving ratings and reviews on the podcast helps us grow. If this is your first time listening and if you're a new listener, Give us some feedback. Let us know how you're feeling about the content and just what you're trying to learn about. We want to make sure we're giving you guys the most value possible and providing answers that y'all need to actually improve y'all lives. Now, yeah, with that out of the way, I'm going to go ahead and get into introducing our guests. So this week on the podcast, y'all, we got a brother who's acquired over $45 million in real estate in the private equity space. He is also acquiring businesses. He took those science skills and started acquiring businesses. My brother has been killing it in the real estate and the business acquisition game. And he's also the host of his own podcast, The Game of Investing. My brother, Sly Buford. Sly, how you living? Good, man. I'm good. Never better. 
Hey, appreciate you, my brother. Appreciate you for coming back on. Like my brother David said, we had some communication troubles last weekend, but my brother, he's back, man. Took some more time out from your weekend. We definitely appreciate it coming back to drop these gems because you was really spitting last weekend, yes, man. No, no doubt, man. I appreciate you guys, you know, being patient with me through those technical difficulties, but I'm back, man. I'm back. Hey, yes, sir. Yeah, we appreciate it. So, my brother, just to kick this thing off again, for anybody that's unfamiliar with you, could you kind of get them introduction to yourself and how you got started in entrepreneurship? Yeah, so, like we just mentioned, my name is Sly Buford. I would say my whole story, getting introduced to entrepreneurship, started back in, I would say we go back to the year 2000. Mm -hmm. At this time, I was a sixth grader, and me and my siblings were living with my mom's boyfriend at the time. At that time, he owned three businesses. He owned a uh, hair and beauty shop, you know, where the guys come in, you know, at that time, get your Murray's grease and the ladies come in and get your, you know, your bundles and stuff like that. He also owned a liquor store. And right next to the liquor store, he owned a, a small club, a small nightclub. The only side note to that was he also was kind of a street pharmacist, to say mm -hmm. the least, you know. So shortly after... But it was through him where I actually saw entrepreneurship with going up to the shop, not necessarily working in the liquor store, but, you know, seeing the operation and things mm -hmm. like that. But shortly after him, my mom broke up, you know, he was sent to prison. So, you know, my mom and us, we were basically at square one. So we're back in Lakeland, Florida. If anybody don't know where Lakeland is, it's right between Tampa and Orlando. So this is basically where I grew up, right? And I had a homeboy who had just came up on a computer. Right. He came up on a computer and this instantly made his crib the spot. You know, so we spent a lot of time over there, you know, in the chat rooms and stuff, you know, chatting with the girls and, you know, from middle school and stuff like that. But then we figured out over time we were uh, using this website called Napster. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if anybody at the time remember Napster where you mm -hmm. can download free music. So we were using Napster at this time to download music. And then we finally learned about this little thing on the computer well, you can actually burn CDs, oh, man. right? So we figured out how to work that. So that was like the first business I actually started. At that time, I started burning CDs at his house, taking them to school, and I would sell them. You know, people had a list ready, you know, one for five, two for 10, three for 15. You know, if I had a good relationship with you, you know, three for 12, you know. <laughs> so, so I started that little business. That lasted me on to, I don't know, around ninth grade or so. This is why I kind of learned my first business lesson, because at this time I had a homeboy who was competing. Right. And mm -hmm. also, if you remember at that time, the MP3s started circulating, the MP3s and then came the iPods. So that started circulating. So with that and a combination of my homeboy who's competing, who's also burning CDs, but he also bundling them with a shirt presser. So he would press. Oh, the, man. Yeah. Yeah. He would he would press the shirts. So not only would he burn a CD for you, but he would press the album cover and sell you that with a little, you know, as a bundle. Oh, man, damn. I had a whole business yeah. going on. <laughs> yeah. So, but at that time I had started playing uh, sports anyway in ninth grade, started playing sports. You know, that kind of put me out of business, you know, with him doing that along with the iPods and MP3s. But it was all good because, like I said, I started playing sports, ended mm -hmm. up getting a scholarship to go play uh, football in Montana. Right. So I'm up in Montana, only lasted there six months because I was kind of homesick. I'm like, man, I'm way up here. 
It's know, a completely different environment. Right. Completely, completely. And then we playing football in negative 10 degree weather. So it was like, I can't, you know, I'm good. So I transferred down to Nickel State University in Louisiana. Shout out to the boot, baby. Uh, yeah, the boot. That's like my second home, man. That's like my second home. But yeah, coupled with that, man, that's how I, you know, my first business was that, you know, starting in sixth grade. That lasted me up to, I say, you know, around ninth grade, ended that off. But then I, leaving Nickel State, I got suspended, right? I ended up getting suspended because I just wasn't doing the right things. You know, I wasn't going to class. I wasn't, you know, I was getting in trouble, wouldn't meet breakfast check and things like that. And ended up getting suspended, man, off the field. And by that time, I left Nickel State. I had three days, actually, we were in the middle of football camp when I got suspended. So I had three days to get off campus by the time they suspended me. And I had $200 to my name. With those $200, a flight back to Florida was $150. So I'm like, damn, how am I going to do this? You know, but ended up catching that flight, spent the money, sold some of my possessions when I got to Florida, spent three days in Central Florida, back in Lakeland. Then I came down to South Florida. And that's when I was introduced to real estate. And, you know, it's been uphill since then, man, honestly. Yeah, that's a powerful story. Yeah, my brother. Yeah. I love that you brought it back with your roots too. Like that was a whole era in time, man. Like yeah. that burning CDs thing. Yeah, yeah. I remember that shit. That was a time, dog. My yeah, dad was. was just making burning CDs and giving them to girls. Be like, hey, this is how I feel about you. I should have made you <laughs> <the> money. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, man. That was a time. Napster and LimeWire. Oh yeah, yeah. That was a time, man. Sure was, man. Hey. It's crazy too. Like I think about the what you say with your homeboy with the whole putting the, the album covers with the that is a business man. lesson. Like early, that's a real business lesson. Early yeah. in that, like the marketplace responds to value provided. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. And he used to come to class like, man, look, I'm gonna put you out, bro, because we were kind of competing. We had the same math class together. And y'all had the same source to getting y'all CDs too, huh? Y'all yeah. doing them at the homeboy house. Well, he was doing his at his house, right? My homeboy who put me out, who kind of put me out of business, he had his own. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. These two different dudes, I think you were saying that I was competing with the guy with the computer I was using. I wasn't competing with him. Mm. I was competing with another homeboy who had a computer and he bought a, a shirt presser and was bundling. Those two different people. But yeah, me and him had the same math class and he would... You know, we would kind of go back and forth in the back of the class, like, 
look, I'm gonna put you out, bro. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you out. I got some face. So when he hit that shirt presser, I couldn't really compete because now I'm playing sports and I, you know, I didn't really have a, a lot of time to go back and do that. But that was that was like my first lesson, man. That there's competitors out there who will put you out. Mm-hmm. And I like how you said that, but I kind of want to move forward into mm-hmm. that real estate journey. And can we kind of get into how did you actually get your foot into real estate mm-hmm. after you, you know, you find yourself in South Florida with pretty much just you and resilience, man. Right. Right. Yeah. So when I left Lakeland, like I said, I was there for about three days. I left Lakeland, came down to South Florida. I ran into a guy who was a high school football coach. So at the time I didn't have much money. Remember, I sold a couple of my possessions and stuff, got my money up to where I can live, you know, a few months. And Ended up meeting him, became a football coach. On the side of that, I also was an in-school suspension teacher, right? So the school allowed me to come in where they wanted me to come in and, you know, work the halls, the ISS room and stuff like that. So it wasn't a real job, but it was like, it was a job or whatever. So while doing that, man, I needed some more money. So I ended up becoming a personal trainer, right? Ended up becoming a personal trainer. And at this training facility, I think this is where the whole shift of, me learning about business and finance and real estate and how money works and stuff like that. Because the the training facility was filled with a bunch of these rich people, right? The guy who owned the gym was a real estate developer. So he created this gym because he wanted to, number one, have his own spot to work out at. He didn't want to go to LA Fitness and any of these other gyms. So he wanted his own spot to work out. Also, he wanted you know, the people that he do business with and, you know, his circle to have a spot to mm-hmm. work on that. But he didn't want to hire trainers. So what he did was he gave people who were personal trainers a spot to train their clients. While if he brought in, if he ran a marketing campaign to bring in people to the gym, we would split the training fee, right? So yeah, he didn't want to hire any trainers and stuff like that. So he used us who were already trainers that if he brought them in, if we can sell them on a package, take them through a free consultation or a free training session, if we actually sell them on it, he would split the, the fee with us. You know, So it was through this guy along with some of those people that were coming in that I was training that actually got me into real estate. They were teaching me about finance. Before it was ever real estate, it was about finance, banking, how money works and stuff like that. And they were teaching me things about what they do in their everyday life and their everyday business. So I actually had a client, one of those clients actually invited me out to a, a development site that he was involved in or that he had just bought. What happened with that, long story short, is he bought a couple of lots where the previous developer had just went bankrupt because he was using what's called Chinese drywall. And if anybody knows anything about Chinese drywall, three things that it does. One, it rots the walls. Two, it turns all the metal in your home black. So that's one way to identify Chinese drywall. It turns it jet black. The third thing is it has bad health effects, right? So these things were happening in this brand new development. Now, this, they started building out this part of town and you know these few developments, they started building them during the uh, recession, right? So it took a couple of years for the whole development or this part of town to be developed out. But that's what was, you know, this developer was using. So my guy came in, long story short, he came in, started buying a bunch of these plots of lands and continued to build the homes. He would bring inspectors in. He would bring in people to try to win back 
the trust of like the community so people can come back and buy homes. So he invited me over there, man. I, you know, we were just kicking it for about 30 minutes and then he started walking me around and he was just telling me, hey, look, man, if you ever run into this problem, do two things. Write the number down or write the address down and call me, right? And I would say 90 days later, I did my first real estate deal. And I would say about five months later, uh, I had made more money in real estate than I had as a trainer for the previous two years. And that was like my entryway into real estate. Right? Mm, damn. You know, and I, I was on ever since. Hey, I love, it. I love it too, man. For one, I like the resilience in that story. Cause you know, like people, they hear all that. You had to move back home. You ain't had the money to your name, but you never got down on yourself in that. You went and you continued. And then I love how that opportunity of you just taking that training turned into this. Right. Because right. you ain't never would have thought none of this. Like, what did it look like building those relationships with those people? Because I know that had to be a part of it for them to just start, you know, giving that game out to you. Yeah. Like, I also want to say this, right? One of the things that I did learn is, number one, rich people aren't as bad as what the media or what people try to portray them to be. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I had clients worth 25 million. I had clients worth 100 million. I had a client worth half a billion. Right. And by the way, when I say that, I always back it up with I actually saw paperwork for some of this stuff. Right. With the relationships, I was invited to offices. I was invited to dinners and stuff like that, you know, as their trainer. So I saw paperwork on some of these people. And so that was one of the first things that I learned was, man, like what the media portrays as what a successful or a wealthy person is, is not exactly what it is. They're very open. The mm -hmm. thing about it is, I guess over time, it took building that relationship, right? I couldn't just come out and say, man, what do you do? Like, how did you just pull up um, in that phantom? You know, like it never was that, right? They came out gradually and started telling me about different things about their life and what they do. And another thing is that I think, go back to your question, you know, there are three types of people when it comes to training, right? So you got the person who talks too much, where it's like, hey, you got to come on, you know, next set. You know, you got the person who uh, doesn't say anything at all. It's like, hey, look, don't say nothing to me. Just train me, right? And then you got the person who has a good balance of both. And I would say the person who talks too much and the ones who has a good balance of both those were the people who, you know, obviously more open about what they do and stuff like that. And it took a couple months, you know, it took a couple months to get people open. But initially, I wasn't even trying to figure out what they do and things like that. It was more of just a casual conversation. And, you know, they became open and I just took advantage to, you know, to learn from some of these people. And I got a follow up question with that. What made you choose going that real estate route versus looking in and being curious about all the other things they were talking to you about? Because I'm pretty sure they talked to you. Like you said, if they were talking to you about finance, someone probably mentioned the stock market to you and they right. probably mentioned these other things. What made you say, no, real estate is going to be my outlet? Um, I think two things. One was when I compared to what most of them did, the the thing that was equal amongst all of them was they invested in real estate. I would say about 90% of them, right? About 90% of them invested in real estate. Number two was I was actually invited to a site 
to see what it was, what it was like. And, you know, that also pushed me, hey, let me go ahead and I guess kind of try it or whatever. You know, that was my mindset. So it was those two things. But to go back to the first one, so to go back to the first one was once you break down, like I mentioned, about 90% of investing in real estate. When I broke it down amongst all of them, not everybody owned real estate companies, mm. right? And I think that's important to understand that people think that you need to own a real estate company to invest in real estate. Mm-hmm. A lot of these people, they were part owners in office buildings, plazas, apartments, storage facilities. They were just part owners, but they still, that's where they placed their money. Equity. Right. They had equity. So it's like, yeah, they're CEO of this company, but they take a portion of that money and they invest it back into real estate. And that was like equal amongst 90 percent of. So that was I want to piggyback off that first answer to mention that also that it was that not everybody owned a real estate brokers, not everybody owned a, a real estate investment fund or something like that, that they just took a portion of their proceeds or whatever they did on a daily basis. And they used that as to gain equity in other projects. So yeah, that's what drove me to just say, let me go ahead and give real estate a try. So I kind of want to go into that first deal, son, that you got to do. So I know you mentioned like the guy, he brought you there and told you like, you see anything, call him. So I'm assuming like it was like a JV deal where like you saw a distressed property and you called him up. Can we get into that deal, son? Like how that kind of worked out for you? Yeah. So the first one, actually, he was doing bigger deals. So my small, my first deal was a three-bedroom, two-bath, right? Three-bedroom, two-bath out in Tamarack, Margate area. People don't know what that is. That's a suburb outside of Fort Lauderdale. So that was my first deal. He was doing bigger projects. Like I just mentioned that one. He bought plots of land and was building and stuff like that. But what he was challenging me to do is if I saw something bigger and, you know, through the things that they taught me to, hey, write the address down, the, if I know the owner or whatever the case may be, contact him. But my first deal that I actually got on the contract was actually a wholesale deal. So it wasn't a big, you know, juicy, fancy deal. It was a simple wholesale deal, three bedroom, two bath out of Margate, Florida. And I got this deal from a guy who was going bust from the recession, mm. right? He owned 22 homes. He was trying to get rid of, you know, as many as he can. So coupled with that, also with the guy, well, a man and a woman, a husband and wife who had money at the time, I had just so happened to meet them through somebody else. I had learned about wholesaling, uh, how you can wholesale a property and things like that. And I basically put it on the contract and flipped that to the husband and wife couple that were looking for real estate deals. Now, one thing I will mention, I didn't let them know that I didn't really know what I was doing because they were first-time investors themselves, right? So they just so happened to have cash, right? But it was a three-bedroom, two-bath. I don't know, I made about nine grand or something like that on my first deal. And to tell you the truth, I had done about three or four deals right after that with just that couple alone because they were stacked with cash. I got to be the, the applause, man. That's some good-ass shit, man. Yeah. If I can remember off the top of my head, it, was, it started off with a three-bedroom, two-bath, then with them, it was a townhouse and a condo. And if I can remember if it was with them or another couple, I did another three bedroom, two bath with them. But I know I did three for sure with them. And it was all wholesale deals, man. You know, simple wholesale deals out in the Tamarack Margate area. 
So you started off with the wholesaling and I guess like that was your introduction to real estate. Right. Uh, from there, we know you moved into the multifamily space and you got to the point where you acquired over 600 units. Can we talk about that journey? Like how'd you go from was wholesaling that, to- Was that the syndication? That yeah, you- that's with syndication and partnering with other general partners. Okay. So yeah, that's what I was explaining last time. But you mentioned about transitioning into multifamily. That actually came off of using a, well, I'll give you the strategy, how I found it, and the whole story behind that. So I forgot who exactly I was talking to at the gym, but they had mentioned, you know, about doing, you know, bigger deals, bigger property and stuff like that. I think over the time of wholesaling, I was like finding ways to, let me mention this also. The thing about me is I never stuck with one thing for very long in real estate besides the syndication part, right? So I've done wholesaling, flipping, distressed debt, foreclosures, lease options. What else? I mean, I've done a few different things outside of just the single family or just the one strategy route, right? So Mm -hmm. like I said, oh, tackling certificates, right? So I think at the beginning, I dabbled in a little bit of I don't want to say everything, but I dabbed in a, in a few different things. And one of those was multifamily after learning about that. So I ended up finding a 68 unit property in Ohio out of all places. Never been to Ohio, but I found it on his website called LoopNet, right? And if for the listeners, if you don't know what LoopNet is, LoopNet is basically a commercial property MLS, right? It's where a lot of commercial properties are listed. So I found this property. And what attracted me to it in the first place was it was expired, right? And I, I didn't mention at the beginning, throughout those 90 days, I had took time, I would say about 40 days or so, you know, 30, you know, a month taking the class and, you know, to take the state test. I had actually got my real estate license, right? Mm-hmm. Never really used it, anything like that. I think I used it a couple of times. I listed a home, sold it, you know, and rent, you know, a couple of people came to me about, hey, find me a, a rental or something like that. But it was never something that I actually use as, you know, to get myself out there. But while I was, while I had those licenses, I learned about the importance of expired listings, right? So I had found an expired listing on LoopNet and that's what originally attracted me to it. So after doing some research, I found the owner, right? It was this older woman out in California. She had no property manager on the property. She had about 15 or so, 14 or so vacant units, right? So me knowing the numbers behind real estate, I'm like, all right, this thing is either losing money, not making much money in the first place. So I ended up finding her number and I actually cold called her, right? And she was surprised that I actually found her because it was listed for a while and it never sold. So I cold called her and I didn't really know what I was saying, but I knew one thing. I I knew that from the looks of it, she couldn't have been doing well because she had this 75-year-old lady collecting rent. Uh, actually, the 75-year-old lady sat at the front of the property um, from 8 to 12, so it wasn't any real management on there. So fast forward, ended up putting it on the contract to do what's called a master lease option. That was the strategy that I used because I couldn't go to a bank. Actually, the property wouldn't even take debt, right, because it has to meet in a, cert- a certain 
there's certain things within the property that you have to have in order to for the bank to finance the property. Mm-hmm. So I ended up doing a master lease option with her. And what I did was sold my option or flipped my option about six months later to somebody who had cash to go in, mm-hmm. fix whatever needed to be fixed, refinance the property, put new debt on it, and everybody go there. That's so, the way. And you said that's called a master lease option? Master lease option. Mm-hmm. Yep. And before we get into the master lease option, because I remember we talked about it last time, uh-huh. I think you said something that was really important was you learned the importance about expired listings. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to graze over that. Can we go into why it's important and what is the importance of those expired listings? Right. Expired listings felt one thing. There's a problem that nobody really wanted to fix. Mm. Right. Just as simple as that. And you know, as an entrepreneur, as an investor, we want problems, right? That's how we add value. We look for problems, try to fix those problems. That increases the value of an asset. So that was one of the things that I learned when I had got my license is the importance of expired listings because somebody couldn't sell it or somebody couldn't buy it. There was something wrong that went wrong where you can come in, identify, hey, why didn't it sell? Right. That's why that question is so important in everything that you do. Why? Right. So understanding why it didn't sell or why she couldn't sell it, that was important because obviously due to the expired listing, but so that I can fix that why, right? Or I can avoid that why. So yeah, expired listings, man, it spells one problem. It acts as a problem where you can come in and find a solution. So yeah, that's why I would say, man, if if you're a realtor out there, I I never did well as an agent. Like I said, I didn't really try to be an agent, but I did know one thing. There was a list of expired listings that you can aim at if you are an agent. And if you are an investor and you have an agent, tell them to send you all the expired listings. You know, you guys try to work some with the expired listings and find out why they know those properties. Why somebody didn't want. Right. Right. Appreciate that value, my brother. That's a a gem, man. Sure. I still got to ask about these master lease options. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I heard of lease options before. I listened to a whole book on lease options. And the whole idea behind it is like almost similar to seller financing where like, you know, you pay them rent, the mortgage or whatever. And then at the end of a term, you get the option to buy it. So what's the difference between that and a master lease option? Because I know you say you flip the uh, the interest. Right. So the only difference is with literally, the only difference is with single family is the lease option with master lease option is with commercial. Mm. That's the main difference. Now with the master lease, three things. One, you don't own the property, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously the same thing when you lease option, but as far as master lease option, one, you don't own the property. Two, you're only controlling the property, right? You're only controlling the property. And three, with controlling that property, what that's allowing you to do is what's called sublease. So meaning with the 68 unit, I was able to control the whole thing. Then I take over who gets to lease a, an apartment. Mm-hmm. You know, I get the control bringing on a new property manager. I get the control, the landscaping contracts and, and things like that. Right. I would say another thing with the master lease is. With the master lease, you, well, with her, in her case, what I did was I only, I paid her 
mm-hmm. everything that came in, right? I got to take whatever I can increase off top of that, right? So let's say hypothetically, they're probably doing 10,000 or whatever. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. I send her the entire 10000 Remember, I'm taking control, so I'm controlling it, but I'm still sending it to her so that she can pay the mortgage that so that the insurance can, can be taken care of and stuff like that. And anything that I can increase off top of that, I get to keep. But remember, you got vacant units, so you're losing money, so you have to use that money, find some way to renovate units or whatever the case may be uh, in different cases. But in this case, I had to send everything to her because the property wasn't making anything in the first place and it wouldn't take debt so with my option to purchase at a later date i sold that option to somebody else and i was able to walk away and they did whatever they did and that's basically a master lease in a nutshell it's basically you're controlling the entire property and subleasing everything all of the units and taking control of it so like you didn't even have to put no money down with her with that. You just like worked out that agreement. Like, look, we still going to pay you what you was already getting. Right. So she was cool with that. Right. She just didn't have to deal with the headache and everything right. that was going on with it. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, the property wasn't making any money because say I was to take all of the money and I mean, it just wouldn't, it's like taking advantage of this lady because number one, she was already in California dealing with her mom. Mm-hmm. Right. So she got a property that's losing value that she bought at the height of the recession. A few years later, she needs to get rid of it. Really can't because remember at the time when I started real estate, it was the time where people were just not starting to dabble in the real estate. I started in 2011, right? The recession, you know, you had the bank collapse and the real estate collapse in 2008, 2009. Nobody wanted to touch real estate in 2009 or 10. People started dabbling in 2011. That's when I got in. Right. So she was losing money on this thing for years. Right. And she was dealing with a mom who was sick. So I had to find a way to not take money from her because mm-hmm. she's already losing money. Mm-hmm. So just saying, hey, look, I'm going to give you whatever you're making right now off the property and whatever I can do to. I didn't pretty much say whatever I can do to her, but my whole plan was to however I can increase the value of this property. Even if I got to sell my option. I'll do just that. I just decided to just sell my option because I, I didn't have enough money to fix all of those units. The property wasn't making enough to take the capital and recapitalize it or take the money and put it back in the units. It just wasn't enough. So that's why I ended up selling the option. That's a dope story, man. Providing solutions to people. Hell yeah. Get you paid. Let me also mention, you don't need to own these properties. If you can control, I forgot who... It, I think it was one of the Rockefellers. He was on one of the Rockefellers or one of the Rothschilds. It was the woman. I can't remember her name, but she said, I do remember part of a quote. And it basically said something like, she cares not who's the president or who's, you know, who runs the government, anything like that. She cares about 
control, right? She don't care who is, I'm probably misquoting it and hopefully the followers can follow me on this, but basically she wants control, mm-hmm. right? She don't, she is not worrying about who else is owning the other seat, right? She wants control. And I thought about that quote because it's kind of the same thing in real estate. Like, I don't care that she owns it. If I can control it, I can make me a few dollars, right? And listen can do the same thing. You know, if you're in a position right now where your credit bad or whatever the case may be, you can control properties. Think of it this way. The, I think it's the Empire State Building is under a master lease. It's under a 99-year master lease. You guys can look that up. It's under a 99-year master lease, right? And that property is worth billions of dollars. Mm. Right. And it's under master lease. So anybody can do this master lease thing. Right. So that's the whole point of the master lease. I also want to mention that last point. But man, you just bust my head with this master lease thing, dog. I ain't even think about it like that. Like they got to use. Is it a different contract y'all using or like. It's two contracts. One is the lease agreement. The second is your option. That's it. Hmm. And then what you want to do is you want to clout the title. That's another little piece right there. You actually want to clout the title because remember, you don't own it. So the person can backdoor you and actually sell it to somebody. Hmm. So what you mean by cloud the title? Cloud the title basically is like almost like putting a lien on the property, which means if you cloud a title, for that property to close, they have to come see you. Put it that way. Okay. Yeah, so that's pretty much clout in the title. We can move on into the syndication part. And we kind of talked about it. You talked about how you were able to get over 600 doors through that. Can we just first start off with what is syndication? So syndication is basically the pooling of capital and resources to buy, let's say, a property. So this means pooling of capital and resources of, you know, your credit, you know, being able to qualify for loans. Somebody else comes in with capital. So it's like pooling all of these or, pool, you know, even relationships So it's pooling all of this together in order to go off and buy another asset. The thing about syndication is I think real estate is the only business that uses the term syndication. But if you think about it, literally everything around us is a syndication. Movies is a syndication. Mm -hmm. Put capital and resources together in order to go make, you know, $20 million movie, you know, so on and so forth. So oil, you know, people who invest in oil, they also syndicate in order to go off and buy oil wells or invest in oil wells and stuff like that. So that's the gist of syndication is pooling of capital and resources amongst people to go off and buy, you know, an asset. Basically group economics. That's it. That, that's, that's it. Group economics. That's it. You know, okay. Because so. people will look at a lot of these big buildings and stuff like that. They think there's one person owning that, but it's like no. you mentioned, it is groups of people coming together. So can right. we kind of go into like, how do you form a syndication group? Like what kind of steps do you have to take to get that together? Okay, so in order, I think the first thing you need to understand when it comes to syndication is you don't need to know everything. You don't need to 
have all of the relationships, all of the money and things like that. You need to know how to play your role. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example of how I did that. But the way that you structure the group, like I said, is understanding how to play your role and understanding who you need in order to plug and play. Right. So for me, for example, throughout those 600 units, I didn't, like you just mentioned, I didn't own all of those 600 units by myself. It mm-hmm. was through other groups of co-syndicators, right? So for example, I give an example of one of the bigger deals that I did or was a part of. It was a $9 million raise, right? So we need $9 million on about 380 units, something like that. We needed $9 million and I knew my capacity, right? They brought me in because of the relationships, a few of the relationships that I had. I knew my role and I knew I can bring in around $2 million in equity. I can raise around $2 million. That was the capacity that I can bring. So they were responsible for the other $7 million, right? In exchange for me bringing $7 million, I got a piece of what's called the general partnership or the GP, right? Think of it like this. There's basically two investors in a syndication. You have the general partner and you have the limited partner. Mm-hmm. The limited partner is only limited to the amount of capital that they provide. The general partner, they're responsible for the day-to-day operations and making sure that we get from A to B on the entire deal, right? So I knew that for the control of the deal and to for my own personal balance sheet and for my own personal finances and for my business, I needed to be a part of general partnership. I need to show you know, later on down the line, when I start doing deals, you know, these larger deals on my own, that, hey, I've been on the general partnership side. The bank sees you different, right? So I don't know if that answers your question much, but it basically putting it together, you need a general partner, someone who's going to control the deal. You Mm -hmm. need to bring in, in order to get the debt financing, you need to have someone who meets the liquidity and the network, right? Here's another thing. You don't need to, I definitely didn't qualify for a $27 million loan. The loan on that property is about, I think it was 25, 27 million, somewhere around there. But my partner, he qualified for the loan, right? He had the liquidity and the network. What I learned over the years, like I was just saying is one person doesn't have to meet the liquidity in the network in order to get the loan. So let's say we need a million dollar loan. You can have one person who has liquidity in network. You can break that up into four people. One person has 250,000. The second, third, and fourth have 250,000. You have two people who have 500,000, 500,000. So you get what I'm saying? The bank is going to bring all of those net worths together, liquidity and net worth together, and in order for you to qualify for the loan. So you need that person. You need a securities attorney, right, to make sure that you abide by securities laws. We raise capital from what's called accredited investors. So for those who don't know what accredited investor is, really quick, an accredited investor is someone who has a net worth and who makes $200,000 if they're single, $300,000 if they're married. They have to have made those incomes the previous two years, I believe, and then expect the same for the following year. 
or have a net worth of a million dollars, excluding your primary residence. So that's the gist of a credit investor. A credit investor. So, like I said, you need a securities attorney. You want to make sure you got a property manager lined up, you know, for whatever you're buying, because the bank is going to want to see that. So, yes, yeah, a team of people that you already want to have ready to pull the trigger. You want to make sure that you talk to these people, get these people on board, build your team before you actually identify an asset. So, that's kind of what you really want to aim for. Mm-hmm. Much value, much gain. And uh, I kind of want to ask, though, is there a way for a non-accredited investor to become a part of a syndication as well? I know you say you personally deal with accredited investors, but is there a way for someone who's non-accredited to kind of get in there? They might not have the 200000 but, you know, they might have fifty, or they might have an extra twenty-five. that, hey, right. I can help you out with this. Right. Yeah, you can. The thing about it is the general partner has to take on accredited investors, right? I'll break it down. So we use what's called Regulation D Rule 506C. That's dealing with accredited investors. You have to have a general partner or a group of investors raising capital from uh, non-accredited investors using what's called Regulation D Rule 506B, right? And that qualifies them to raise capital from non-accredited investors. The thing about using non-accredited investors is you're limited to 35 non-accredited investors, right? So, I mean, I don't know why the SEC does this. I mean, I know there's a lot of people who got $100,000 saved up, you know, who are non-accredited investors who have the wherewithal, the knowledge to be a part of these deals. But I feel like the SEC kind of pulls them back Mm -hmm. by, by claiming that they're trying to protect these investors. But it's like, I don't know, but they can be, but the group who are raising capital have to, they have to be raising capital using rule 506B of regulation D. So they can be and but the general partners are limited to 35. So if you can find someone who's raising capital from accredited investors who's using that, they can. But I will say the differences of why one would choose 506B over 506C is we use 506C because we can actually come on to the Black Wealth Renaissance and say, hey, look, we got a deal that we're raising capital for. We can advertise it. We can go on the TV and advertise. We can go to meetups and stand up in front of everybody. Hey, look, we got a deal we're raising capital on. We can do that with a 506C. With a 506B, you have to have previous existing relationships. So a lot of times when you get a lot of these people raising capital, they don't know. I mean, they know a bunch of people without money, but a lot of people don't want to put up their money at risk and, and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And you can't publicly advertise when you use 506B. So those are some of the differences as to why, but they can. Okay. That's wild. Like, just like you said, like, because with B, you saying you can't advertise to non-accredited investors, but you can advertise to accredited investors. Right. So, right. It's like you said, it's almost like the SEC is kind of hindering people in that respect because these deals, like you mentioned, it, this is like how you, you can almost get involved on a larger scale and really start leveling up. But it's right, almost right. like they're putting the handcuffs on you like, oh, wait right, a minute. You right, ain't right. moving like that yet. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's. That's how I feel. Now, I will say that the SEC has opened up, I would say, 
about two months ago, they started to open up what they considered as an accredited investor. So I didn't, I can't remember off the top of my head what those things consist of, but they are opening the doors to where they're making it easier for people who don't, or what I say, lowering the barriers mm-hmm. for people to come in who didn't previously make 200000 but now, or 300000 they're married to now come in and be a part of you know, larger deals. Mm. That's dope. I definitely like how you just broke that down. Definitely want to say thank you for dropping those gems on this, my brother. And I kind of want to go a little bit more into your story because we also know that you're taking these same skills that you developed in real estate and understanding how to identify certain things. And now you're actually acquiring businesses as holes. Right. And I kind of want to move a little bit into your story with that. Can we kind of talk about how did you get started in that? Yeah. So it started off the back of the pandemic. Let me just say that. Mm-hmm. Right. I dabbled in it a little bit. Man, 2019, I dabbled in it a little bit just to learn more about, okay, acquiring companies and stuff like that. I would say the pandemic really allowed me just to pull the trigger. Right. Because for a couple of different reasons, one real estate, at least buying multifamily has gotten really hot right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I said, when I started, it was off the heels of a recession, you know, so it was properties available everywhere. Yeah. People went bankrupt everywhere. So it was kind of easier to identify a property, put it under contract, do whatever you needed to do in order to buy a property. I would say we're in that same time now, this time with businesses. And also, I also want to mention the competition has also risen when it comes to multifamily. Right. Mm -hmm. For instance, it got to the point to where it went from one group or two group of syndicators coming in, trying to buy a property to now it's 30 groups on a property, taking tours of properties to buy one property and bidding up the price. Sheesh. Right. So it's like you got that on top of that. They're doing what's called going hard day one. Right. And basically what that means is they're putting up deposits, 200000 $300,000 deposits. And they're non-refundable day one, which means if you go in, yeah, which means if you go in, you do an inspection, you're like, man, this won't work out. You're automatically just giving up that 200000 300000 in deposit that you've put up. Uh, that's going I'm hard day one. Is. Right. So that's where, you know, that's why I say multifamily, at least for me, in the strategies, in the people that I work with, in the types of properties that we look for, it's gotten extremely competitive. So along with that, combined with the opportunity to buy businesses because of the pandemic calls for a lot of opportunity, right? It's, I believe it's all about opportunity. And just to answer your question a little bit deeper, the opportunity lies within, I think the number is about 595,000 businesses closed every year, mm-hmm. just off the strength of not and being natural. able to, yeah, naturally just not adding value to the market, whatever that business does naturally not being able to provide value to the market, you know, people retiring and just closing the doors, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, stats like that. Also, we're in the middle of a $68 trillion. I don't know if anybody read this, but we're in the middle of a $68 trillion wealth transfer. Mm -hmm. So along with that, and also last thing, you have these baby boomers that are retiring, Mm -hmm. you know, 10,000 baby boomers turn 65 every day 
for the next 19 years. Damn. They own half of the country's businesses. So imagine how many businesses are just closing their doors because they don't have a succession plan. So the kid don't want to deal with it. Right. Their kids are programmers at this big, you know, I don't know, IT firm or, you know, they make apps or whatever. And they don't want to deal with a service business that's doing three million a year. You know, it's a boring business, but, you know, it puts five hundred thousand dollars in your pocket. They don't care. You know, so a lot of these people just closing the doors. Also, the pandemic only expedited that five hundred ninety five thousand. That number has risen Mm. because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So point being is the opportunity is what drove me to, you know, start looking at acquiring companies. Mm. Yeah, I like that because like whenever you acquire these companies, you don't have to worry about all that, these closing doors and all this other stuff. You're looking at stuff that actually already works. So right. can we kind of get into like, how do you analyze a business like before you want to buy it? I, like, I kind of wanted to even ask, how do you find them first? Like, where you, is there like a Craigslist for businesses going out of, out of style or something? There is. Uh, well, you know, actually you mentioned Craigslist. People post businesses on Craigslist that they mm-hmm. want to sell, yes. right? What? So that's a way, you know, I know it's kind of like, you know, a joke, but no, it's real. People actually post businesses on Craigslist that they want to get rid of. Now, they might not be great businesses, but you never know. You know, it doesn't hurt to call them. Hey, you know, I saw that you're selling this mechanics business. Like, you know, I'm interested, you know, how can we talk? You know, mm-hmm. so how am I finding these businesses? Well, I'll give you, this is how I found what I've gotten so far. Direct mail. Mm. Direct mail not only works for real estate, it also works with businesses, right? So I give you an example of a business that I talked to you guys about last week was the boxing promotions company. I'm a big sports fan. Mm. I wanted to be in sports, right? So what I did, is by the way a lot of this stuff is public information you know a lot of stuff is public information in fact i would say all of it you know most of a business mm-hmm. information is public right because so, this is going through the irs they're gonna know right, right exactly so if people can start then understand that hey there is no these businesses aren't hiding the information a lot of it is public right so with the boxing company what i did simple as this i kid you not i pulled up all of the registered licensed boxing promotions companies here in Florida and I found their home and I mailed them simple simple and I got phone calls back to I actually got a phone call from a guy that we're in the works of acquiring now by the way I also want to say this when it comes to boxing promotions companies anybody out there who said wow that does resonate with me not every boxing event is a Floyd Mayweather event you know, they're good size boxing companies locally that are doing numbers, that are doing numbers on the weekends, you know, and this happened to be one of them. Right. But I found this guy off. Of, he called me back off of one of my direct mail campaigns and it's a motivated seller because that's one thing that I do want to mention. You need somebody who's motivated, who wants to retire or get rid of the business or move on or something like that. So he's ready to retire. He does have a partner. They both want to retire. The I'm trying to think of, you say, how do you find them? It was off a direct mail campaign. I'm trying to think. He 
I've been running this boxing promotions company for about 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's actually tied in with some of the big wigs, you know, the Al Haynes of the world and guys like that. Oh, damn. But yeah, you can find businesses, direct mail campaigns, finding their addresses. I do want to say you want to find the address of the actual owner. Mm. You just don't want to mail the business because that triggers a lot of the employees. You don't want to get the employees, yeah. you know, involved and, you know, they say, oh man, they're getting ready to sell a business. I got to get out of here. You know, I don't want to be involved with anybody else yeah. before you can actually get to that point to talk to the employees and stuff like that. So, so yeah, you can do direct mail campaigns, relationships, whatever business that you're in, you can buy your competitors. You can call your competitors up. Hey, you know, just want to open up the conversation. Like you guys are looking to, looking to sell. Hey, we're open to buy. So if you look all around you, man, there's opportunity. A guy once told me, man, look, anything's for sale for the right price. Mm. So, so, yeah. So with this direct mail campaign with the business owners, you were like skip tracing these people similar to like you do with real estate? I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what, this was a test run, right? I got basically off a test run. So what I did is I wanted to make my list as accurate as possible. So I took a week, a week off of just everything that I was doing. And what I did is I pulled up, obviously here in Florida, all the licenses are listed. So I pulled that list of all of the people who own Box Promotions Company. I took the names of the list. It was tied up in the LLC. I just went to sunbiz.org, who was in control of that LLC, who was the manager of the LLC. And wherever it was listed, wherever the address of the office was, I just went to that property appraiser's website, typed in the name, make sure it had a homestead attached to it, because that's another key thing for people who do direct mail, is you want to check for a homestead. You can't lie on a homestead. What up? This is Torrey, host of the Hard to Earn podcast. And if you're a fan of music reviews, then be sure to check out and subscribe to Hard to Earn. When my partner Bonesu Thompson and I review your favorite new albums and classic albums on pivotal anniversaries, you know, 10, 15, 20, etc. We review track by track, rating from one to that elusive perfect 10. It's brought to you exclusively by the Revolt Podcast Network. Anchored in hip hop, powered by creators. Right. What is a homestead? A homestead basically is a tax exemption for uh, somebody who owns a home. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think it's twenty five thousand for a single person, or fifty thousand if you're married. You get a tax exemption for um, for that home. I think that's with the IRS. So you can't lie about a homestead. Right. So I just pull um, the names found the home address, put their home address wherever the office was located, found their name, put their name on my spreadsheet, went to the next until I had a whole list. I think I, I sent out about 100 to test the first batch and got phone calls back. And actually, the response rate of businesses I found is a lot higher than real estate. Mm, right? I can believe it, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, Bitch. Right. So yeah, that's how I originally found them. I didn't use anything like I think Nexus Lexus or you know any of these other companies, or I didn't pull a list from a website mm-hmm. because I actually want to test it myself. So going forward, I think I'm gonna start pulling some lists because that takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Put together, you know, to find, but I actually want to make it as accurate as possible to see if I can get the phone ringing and stuff like that. And it actually worked. 
So yeah. Okay. And I know your first question yeah, when we got on that analyzing. was analyzing it, and then I have another follow up with that. So I let uh, you know. can we kind of get into like some of the criteria that you look for whenever it comes to purchasing a business, like how you analyze the deal with that? Right. So some of the criteria that I'm looking for now is anything between five hundred thousand and five million in revenue, mm-hmm. right? Anything in at the beginning, I had my floodgates open to just about anything. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm narrowing down, down in 2021, and I kind of got a vision of the company I'm trying to build, and mm-hmm. which I'll explain that also, right now I'm still open to, to anything, right? But like I say, I'm narrowing down to logistics. I'm also narrowing down to healthcare, right? Obviously still real estate. Mm-hmm. So anything between 500,000 and 5 million, uh, 10 employees, right? I want uh, at least 10 employees, preferably the manager to stay. You know, if not, we can work out something where the next in line, we can, you know, bump them up to, you know, work out some sort of deal for them to stay. Because if they leave, then it's like, you don't want to buy a job, right? That, that's mm-hmm. the, what I'm trying, you know, what you want to avoid is buying a job. So, and also another number is EBITDA. Right. So anything they're doing, you know, 500,000 or 2 million or so in EBITDA. Now, what EBITDA is earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Mm. So for the ones in real estate, it's similar to the NOI, right? Net operating income. Basically, it's your profit before you pay debt service. Mm. That's EBITDA. So those are the basics of, you know, what I'm looking for. But like I said, going into 2021, we're narrowing this thing down to where we're shooting at building a logistics company. My group company is called 10th Street Group, right? Mm-hmm. So we got 10th Street Group under that. We're having a logistics company under that. We have a home health company and we'll continue to build out from there. But it's kind of like there's two models in this whole thing. You got the Berkshire Hathaway model mm-hmm. and you have the, let's say, Virgin Group model. Right with Richard Branson. Or Richard Branson, two different right. approaches. Right, two different approaches. So with Berkshire Hathaway, by the way, if a lot of people didn't know, majority of Warren Buffett's money is made through actually acquiring companies. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, it's not just stocks. People think he's a stock guy, but he's actually a guy who buys businesses. Right, along with stocks, you know. But Berkshire Hathaway buys businesses. Now, what they do is they buy different businesses, different sectors doesn't matter what it is as long as he's making money, right? Yeah. With the Virgin brand, which is the brand, which is the model that I'm modeling after, is you have the Virgin group. And then under that, you have Virgin Hospitality. You have Virgin Airlines. You have Virgin Communications, so on and so Virgin forth. Mobile, yeah. Virgin <laughs> Mobile, yeah. So the thing about it is there's a brand that stands out behind mm-hmm. uh, Virgin which you attach Virgin to anything, you automatically know that company and Mm -hmm. Richard Branson and and things like that. So that's the model that I'm modeling after. Mm. But yeah, that's that's basically the gist of what I'm looking for and how. Hey, that's smart though, bro. And for people who didn't know, Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway was an old textile company that was going out of business. He bought that shit and then just started flipping it. He he turned it into a behemoth. Don't they own like 
90 percent of Geico or something. They own a lot of shit. They own a lot. They got mobile homes. Is either was it textile or insurance? I think it was textile though. I think Geico. They own Geico. I mean, there's a lot of uh, models, a lot of companies that were built off acquisitions. Mm-hmm. You know, just to name a few, Apple. Apple, I would say about 90% of Apple is built off acquisitions. This is not to take anything away from Steve Jobs. I mean, obviously he's the head honcho of the whole thing, you know, but the entire company was built off acquisitions. Mm-hmm. Take for instance, iTunes. Apple didn't create iTunes. They bought it, mm-hmm. right? It was, I think it was a, a company called Sound Jam NP. They bought Sound Jam NP and they changed the name and changed some of the branding inside of Sound Jam, turned it into and renamed it to iTunes. Then we had iTunes. Mm. You know, you take the touchscreen on the iPhone. That was that technology, that piece of technology, that software to do that. Apple acquired that company. Then they put it on the iPhones. You know, the face recognition software, they bought that. They put it on the iPhone. Apple Music. They bought Beats. I was just about to say it yeah. actually came from Beats. Yeah. yeah, they bought Beats, changed the name to Apple Music, so on and so forth. I mean, Amazon is built off acquisitions. I was literally yeah. just about to say right. that. Right. Like, so, yeah, so it's, it's not like, I don't want people to think that I'm, you know, just came up with this or I'm like some, G- I'm just modeling what other successful people have done. You know, waste management, you know, the entire waste management garbage company was built just off buying little small mom and pop garbage companies around the country and they changed the name to waste management emerged emerged elon musk he bought tesla i got this one written down ufc for all the fight fans dana white didn't create ufc he bought it you know he bought it made it better got tv deals and stuff like that made it more valuable then sold it for like four billion dollars or something like that you know so this whole thing of acquisitions is played every single day right and i think that the reason that you know i'm doing these interviews and stuff like that and speaking more about it is because man it's like one of the hidden gems to where you can skip the startup phase Mm -hmm. and you can instantly have contacts instantly have sales instantly have employees you know, God, you ain't got to worry about creating the systems, man. right? You ain't got, the like, <laughs> that's yeah. turnkey, like a motherfucker, right. man. Right. Like, this startup shit, it sounds cool. And, right. Oh, it man, I cool. was grinding, man. Fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> if oh. I can buy a business straight off the street, give yep. it to me, and it's yep. gonna be successful from day one. Yep, give it to me, exactly. So, so yeah, man. Yep, that's what it is, man. And I kind of wanted to go and just like kind of open up the audience's mind too with this, because once again, like you're talking about it with real estate, I, I can see some similarities. I'm pretty sure you can get creative with financing with these businesses also. Like you said, with the master lease options or something, you could probably come in and just be like, hey, look, let me do this. Let me take control of the business. I pay you such and such percent. And until we get to a certain date, I'll give you a big balloon payment at the end. I'm pretty sure. A lot of these business people would do that because one, they have, they already have the idea of ownership in their head. They know that, Hey, if I don't have to do all of this, this extra work and I still get the same check I was collecting, why the fuck not? Right. Right. Yeah. It's and think about it this way. You don't even have to own the entire company. Like you say, there are people where 
we're doing what's called an earn-in deal, right? Mm-hmm. When you buy a company, maybe some people have heard of it, maybe some have not, but it's called an earn-out, which basically means if a business, if an owner wants this and a buyer wants this and they can't agree, let's say it's a million dollars. Let's say the owner wants $2 million and the buyer is saying, hey, look, I can only give you 1.5. Well, the buyer can say, hey, look, I'll give you an earnout, which means if we hit a certain sales or a certain threshold, I'll pay the extra $500,000. That's what an earnout is, right? It's paying based on whatever a future value is. That's an earnout. What we're doing is an earn in. We're using a strategy called an earn in also on another deal where we are basically putting our skills to use mm-hmm. but no money out of pocket in exchange for a portion of the company and a portion of the revenues, mm-hmm. right? So we're essentially owning a part of a business, implementing you know, marketing skills or whatever the case may be for 30, 40% of the business, mm. plus some of the upside. So when, if we ever go to sell it, then we also get a portion of that also. So you don't just have to buy a company outright. You can also earn yourself inside of a deal and get paid that way and mm. own part of a business that way. So, yeah. Like at the end of the day, my brothers, like you said at the beginning of this thing, it's all about providing value to people, my brother. Right. You know, like, that's it. You provide value, you provide solutions, people willing to work with you as long as you can do what you said you can do. Right. Right. Absolutely. And, man, I'm loving it so far, man. And that's why I'm encouraging as many people as I can to get involved with acquisitions. Like, put it this way. The fastest way to grow is through acquisitions because in order to, let's say you want more sales, you have to come up with a marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't like to put up more money, more capital in order to gain more sales or whatever your goal that you're trying to achieve. You can either do that, which is going to take you time, effort. It's also going to basically, if it fails, you got to come up with something else in order to achieve that goal. Or you can buy a competitor or someone who's already selling and integrate that into what you already have going. Right. And I think that's powerful for a lot of people is you don't have to go out and like I said, continuously try to come up with new sales tactics, new marketing strategies. You can buy that. But there's so many components to a business that you can buy that most people haven't thought of. For instance, you can buy the media of a company, right? So if you are in the healthcare space, maybe you can buy a healthcare blog. You can buy a healthcare podcast, right? You can buy a healthcare meetup, you know? You could buy a healthcare Facebook page, Instagram page. There's so many different things outside of just buying another healthcare business that you can implement and use that to grow your business, right? Mm-hmm. It's faster just to buy the media than grow it organically. Now, there's some strategies that you have to use to make sure that you can continue um, to grow it. Yeah, yeah, continue to grow it. That's another story. But the point being is, I mean, as I studied this thing, the fastest way that I've seen other people grow is to just buy it, right? So podcast is another big thing. You know, I see a lot of people going out and starting or starting these podcast networks. Mm-hmm. But if you are into healthcare, maybe you can buy 10 different healthcare 
uh, podcasts in different niches, now you have an entire podcast network mm. instead of starting each one from the ground up. So, I mean, it's just some ideas about acquisitions just to throw out there. Mm, for sure. And it's just looking at it differently. Yeah. And right, I right. just kind of want one last thing with acquisitions, just for to really cement it down in people's heads. Like, because we kind of talked around it some, I feel. Like the process of like the paperwork and all this type of shit that you gotta get done, like transferring right. the ownership yeah, the and shit like that, ownership of the business right. and like create that transition in it. Because I, you mentioned the thing with the employees, right. like finding out early and all that. Right, right, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So buying a business is very similar to buying real estate, right? So to close out the deal. Obviously, we're going to do our due diligence, right? We're going to make sure that the bank account is what they say is in the bank account. And we actually want to verify that. But even before that, I think people need to understand that there are only two ways to actually buy a business. That's through an asset purchase or a stock purchase. That's it. Mm. The asset purchase basically means that you're buying the assets of a company and that's it. So you're buying the intellectual property, you're buying the media, you're buying the machinery, the equipment, you're buying the, you know, the assets of the company, mm-hmm. what, what operates the company. So you're going to create another LLC and the assets are going to go into that. Entity. New LLC? Yeah, new LLC. So when you do a stock purchase, stock purchase basically means you're buying the stock of that, the existing company, the existing LLC. Now, those are the differences. What I think one of the main differences that people want to make sure they know is you want to do an asset purchase as many times as you can before you do a stock purchase. Because when you do an asset purchase, you're, you're not liable for any of the other past things that happen with the company, the debts, any lawsuits that come along. That's the old owner has to deal with that in that other LLC. When you buy stock, you're responsible for everything, the debt, the lawsuits that come, and everything. It's more risky. You bought, that whole, you bought into right. the actual LLC. Right, right. So I think people want to know that for sure. As many times you can buy, uh, do an asset purchase versus a stock purchase, you want to do that asset purchase. And the purchase and sell agreement. It's basically the same thing with buying real estate. So you're going to use a purchase sale agreement. We're still going to go to a closing attorney, right? Mm-hmm. So that's part of the paperwork. If you're doing equity deal, we just use an equity agreement. Remember, I, I, I explained an earning deal that we're doing in exchange for equity. So we're using an equity agreement or an equity contract. And as far as like due diligence, stuff like that, you're going to use an attorney who has a list of things that they want to review in order to make sure that you're buying something that won't get you tied up in some sort of legal battle. And you're going to have an accountant who's going to, you know, go through all of the records of accounting, you know, the bank statements for HR, the W-2s and stuff like that. They're going to go through, I just mentioned bank accounts, basically all of the finance, anything that has to do with financials mm-hmm. for the business. So yeah, that in my folders, I got about 40 different pieces of paperwork, but those are the main ones. Like each one is for different strategies that I'm using, but I just named three that I'm mainly using right now, which is the basic purchase and sale agreement, 
a LOI in a term sheet, right? Mm-hmm. That's, you know, for the ones in real estate should know what an LOI is. Basically, you're laying out the plans of how we're actually going to buy this thing or the terms of the deal. And equity deal is if we're going to do what I explained a few minutes ago, which is I'm going to provide some value to you in exchange for equity. We just use a simple equity, equity agreement signed between me and the owner. And yeah, that's basically the gist of it. Oh, and if you're using a stock purchase, obviously there's a stock contract that deals with that we have. But for the asset purchase, we're just using the asset agreement along with the purchase and sale agreement. And that's how we, you know, make the transfers of these businesses. So hey, appreciate it, man. Hell yeah, yeah man. That, that, My brother came here and dropped some jams. Hey man, that whole piece about that asset purchase, that's some shit y'all better not sleep on. Yeah. You don't want to deal purchase. with other people's problems. No, no. So as many times you can remember, as many times as you can do an asset purchase. Over a stock, remember, there's only two ways to buy a business, an asset purchase or a stock purchase. So uh, as many times as you can, you want to do that asset purchase. Mm. Gang. Mm. Hey, man, we appreciate it, dog. Message. Hey, you had to get it to him? <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> hey, well, look, slide, my brother. We're going to go ahead. We're going to pivot to the last segment of the show. So we're going to ask you, dog, what's something on your timeline that you saw that you just want to speak on? Anything? Yeah, anything, um, man. Anything, man. Um, trying to think of something off the wall because I scroll, I scroll through. By the way, I need to start posting on my social medias, man. I, I don't got hit up by a couple people by that, but I scroll. I see what's going on out there. Anything, what's going on on my timeline? I saw that, man. This is gonna be, it's gonna be kind of weird, y'all, man. But I look at a lot of animals, animal like crocodile bites. Like, oh, like uh, don't judge it. I love like Animal man, Planet. Man. Yeah, yeah. Like, bro. I look, man. I spend a, when I'm on there, man. I look at snakes versus you know a python versus alligator and stuff like that, man. I know some people is like, man, you do what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's what actually I've been spending a lot of time on YouTube doing that, man. It's weird, but um, nah, bro. Hey, man, that's what's on your timeline. That's what's on your timeline. That's on my time. Hey, that's on my time, man. It's better than all this other bullshit, negative bullshit that's going on. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, man. I spend a lot of time looking at animal stuff, man. It's just that's what I find fascinating. So, hey, man, it is what it is. Nature, in its very essence, is always interesting. I'm a science dude, bro. So it don't bother me none. I watch all that shit too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I know some of y'all listen. I know y'all do too. Don't even front, like, yeah, man. Don't be capping. Yeah. <laughs> hey man, I ain't gonna lie. Steve Irvin used to be my guy, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Crocodile. Yeah, man. Yeah, what yeah. I said though, I ain't gonna lie. Hey, we gonna talk about it. We gonna talk about it. Hey. <laughs> well, look, Sly, bro. We appreciate you so much for coming on the show and kicking these gems, kicking game about real estate, business develop, business buying. That yeah, you, you man. You really can. just you came here and really just gave us a whole crash course on a lot of shit syndication. Buying business acquisitions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Partners, limited partners. Yeah, for sure. Definitely want to say appreciate you for the value that you kick, man. Yes, no, sir. No doubt. No doubt. Hey, can we get you, please, to plug yourself in, my brother? Let them know, like, let everybody know how they can follow you on social media, like, right. what they could do, what they want to work with you, if they want to work with 10th Street, if they want to work with, with S. Buford Enterprises. Like, how can they get at you, my brother? Right. Yeah, no doubt. 
So if my basic website to learn more about me, which is actually under construction, the website is outdated. So a lot of the stuff as far as business acquisition stuff is not on there. I got my website guys that are building me a new site. So, but you can still find it at slobbuford.com. Just my name, slobbuford.com. You can find that. But like I said, it's under construction right now. They're building me a new one, you know, to integrate some of the stuff that I'm doing now and new brand and stuff like that. So slobbuford.com, you can follow me on Instagram, which I'm starting. I'm getting ready to start posting my pics and, and some of the work, man. Just, to, you know, people, you know, show people a lot of the work. You can follow me at slobbuford on Instagram. If you want to reach out, anything outside of like business, you know, if you got a question, anything like that, you can reach me at sly at slybuford.com. There's anything to do with business acquisitions or real estate or anything like that. You can also reach me at sly at 10thstreetgroup.com. You can also visit 10thstreetgroup.com. That'll let you know more about, you know, the businesses that we're buying and stuff like that. That's 10thStreetGroup.com and SlyBuford.com or visit me at SlyBuford. And YouTube, I'm starting, you know, I'm starting to post them on YouTube also. And also I have a podcast also that, that I didn't mention. It's called The Game of Investing. And it's just an all-around show that I bring on people that I've either done a deal with or just people in the business, investing, and finance world. And it's called The Game of Investing. That's on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And you can find that. So, yeah, I mean, that's where you can find me at. I love sure it. Y'all I love tap it, man. in. Y'all better tap in, my brother. Yeah, Hell yeah. The value. Yep. No doubt, man. I know you earned a new listener for the game of investing in me, man. I, I got to learn more from this brother, man. This man, I should. Hey, yeah. Y'all better tap in. Yeah. yeah. For sure, man. For sure. sure. Much appreciated, man. No problem, man. Well, before we wrap this thing up, we're going to go ahead and hop into a couple of house cleaning items. As always, everybody, thank y'all for tuning into the Black Wealth Renaissance podcast week in and week out. We do this thing for y'all. So we just want y'all to continue to, you know, show love, feed, give us the feedback. Mm-hmm. Let us let us know how y'all feeling because we want to make sure we're doing this for y'all, the best of y'all ability, to the best of our abilities. Yeah, and uh, make sure y'all continue to support us by our book. We got courses. Our book is Managing Money Like the 1%. Uh, is a basic guide just to getting your life and your money uh, together. It's a step-by-step guide to managing your money. Um, We're going to teach you how to identify what's going on. We'll teach you how to budget and just teach you how to get into a better place, uh, pay down debt and everything like that. Also purchase our courses. Uh, We got the eight weeks of wealth course. We have the credit fundamentals course well pack yeah we got the uh podcasters playbook that's about to drop it might be it might be out by the time y'all hear this um so y'all definitely just purchase those courses that helps us continue to build our great brand it helps us fuel what we got going on it helps us give you more value um and just really provide to you so y'all definitely definitely support us in that way or if you just don't want to purchase a product hey you can just donate to us donate to us down below via anchor and once again it helps us just reach that next level and just yeah keep on giving value to y'all like y'all our main focus so appreciate y'all for being part of the black wealth renaissance family most definitely and on that note this is david with black wealth renaissance signing out Peace. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I 
ain't picking up my lot Unless it's money on the phone Gotta get it on the daily, all I want is dubs, you know what I'm on I've been chasing after paper, all I know is run money marathon Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.